So welcome to the FTSQ podcast series, Celebrating Nonconformists. Today we're interviewing Daps, who's an amazing illustrator. Welcome, Daps. Hey, Lena, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very excited to be uh, having a chat to you today. So um, before we talk about you specifically, it would be really good to get your thoughts on what you think a nonconformist is. Oof. Um, my idea of a nonconformist is a person who has difficulty fitting into the status quo, like um, just doing things the way that everybody else does them and seeing things the way that everybody else sees them as well. That person is a nonconformist. That's, that's my idea of a nonconformist. Somebody who can think, you know, outside the box or just make away with the box altogether and just carry on along their own path. Oh yeah. Right. We, we love the doing away of the box. <laughs> no, that's cool. Well, look, tell us a bit about yourself, you know, what you've grown up with, your family, where you went to school, university, all the sort of things that bring you up to what you're doing today would be really good moments and milestones. And yeah, just tell us about yourself, really. Um, I'm going to try and sum up the last 36 years in a nutshell, because it, <laughs> yeah, it's been a pretty interesting life. I am uh, Nigerian by both my parents, um, born in the UK, lived in Nigeria from three months old to four years old, and then left my parents to come and live with my aunt, who was my guardian in the UK from four years old all the way till I was about 28. And then I moved out of her place. I have studied school-wise. I, oh, I'm a sibling as well. I've got siblings. Um, I am the second child of seven by my dad and the firstborn of three by my mom. Wow. Big family. Yeah, big family, but I wasn't raised with any of them. So again, I think that's contributed towards my nonconformity in terms of culture and just the way that I am, because I am literally the black sheep in our family. <laughs> I'm the one that went off and did his own thing and everybody else followed, you know, the paths that were laid out for them. And uh, study-wise, uh, school-wise, education-wise, I studied up to degree level. Um, I studied art and design at GCSE level, and I studied art and design at A-level and graphic design. Um, I failed my A-levels, oddly enough, and my degree as well. And in both cases, the reason I failed was because I, talented as I was, I wasn't focused at all. I wasn't able to focus, or at least I wasn't able to. My understanding of it now is that I wasn't able to focus according to what was required of me at the establishments that I went to. So what it was, you know, growing up now and looking at things now with hindsight, I realized that it's not so much that I wasn't able to focus. I didn't have the direction afforded to me or the guidance afforded to me that I needed because, you know, the education system, it's a classroom full of 30 plus children and one educator. There's, it's near enough impossible for them to guide and direct the whole class, let alone, you know, focus on individual needs so yeah I was one of those kids that kind of just slipped through the cracks in the education system I mean I wasn't a wayward child by any means but I didn't receive the guidance and the direction that I should have received from going to school. It does seem to be quite a common theme with the nonconformists that I'm meeting about school and the fact that it's a very linear system and those that sit outside it, although they can be brilliant, sometimes they're just slipping, slipping yeah. through. Were you always different from those around you, do you think? 
I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a weird thing growing up, you know, I'm going to be very, very like blunt about a few things there. Like it's, you know, growing up as a young black man, growing up as a young black African man, all these things have their own, uh, separate, separate cultural, uh, markers, if you will, you know, like, so it's one thing growing up as a young British, black British man in England. It's another thing growing up as a young black British African man. Right. So yeah. there's different aspects of, of, of both these things that play a role in how you fit in, where you fit in and who you are culturally and socially as well. Right. So in, in that respect, I was always too English for my African side, yeah. despite speaking my language, my mother tongue brilliantly and understanding it fluently. I was always too English for that side because of the way that I saw things and I was always too, how can I put this? For want of a better phrase, the way I'm going to put it is I was almost too white for my black British side. That <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's bizarre because I don't, I don't adhere to certain things. I don't do certain things. And this is not in any way to say that I'm better than any of my peers. Right. But it's just a thing that I was never, for example, football cars, I don't care about cars and football. Fuck them. I, I just, I've <laughs> never been that guy. The only thing I care about when it comes to cars is aesthetics. Like ah, I like yes. good looking car. I can yeah. draw a good looking car. The only thing I care about when it comes to football is action shots and photography. I love the way but people the art move. Of it. The art of it. Do you understand? Yeah. I never yeah, gave totally. a fuck about a team. I didn't give a shit about how fast the car could go. I didn't care about any of those things at all. Right. The only thing that kind of, you know, allowed me to fit in with other gents at school was a love and appreciation of women. That was literally <laughs> the only common ground that I had with a lot of guys up until, you know, with, with, with a lot of general guys. I mean, obviously I found my, my friends who were interested in the same things I was interested in, comics, video games and those things. But like just your general average lad, that was never who I was. It just never was. It had no appeal for me whatsoever. And, you know, the thing about me that I found out, you know, I've always known this on some level, but I kind of had it confirmed by a friend of mine of 20 plus years the other day. It was that I just have this way about me where I just, I just get on with it. You know, not fitting in was always something I knew in the back of my head that I didn't belong. And there were times, don't get me wrong. There were times when it was like, oh shit, you know, I, I don't fit in. How do things that these guys find so easy to do, I find them really, really hard to do. So there were times when it was a thing, but then those times were very few and far between. You know, most times I'm, I'm, my mind's occupied with other things. I'm too busy thinking about how to solve this problem or that problem or how to do this or how to do that or admiring the glory and the wonder of this and that to even care about fitting in. I just didn't care. It's quite interesting, actually, because that leads us on to one of the questions I was going to talk to you about, actually, which is quite beautifully segueing, is how you dealt with being different throughout your life. Was it easy? Was it hard? Did it not matter? It's, it always mattered. I'm still dealing with it. I'll be honest with you. So one of the things I mentioned earlier was that I didn't grow up with my family. So I'm currently living with my mum. I'm living in a flat with my mum at the moment. And this is the first time in my life, as far as I can remember, as far as I can recall, that we're actually in a position to get to know each other. And the gap that's existed, you know, with me not growing up with her, it's proved really difficult to bridge that gap with all my family, if I'm going to be honest with you, because it's a thing where... I see things so differently. 
Like I look at our culture, I look at the things in African culture that are detrimental to us. There's a lot of wonderful things in our culture, but there are still a lot of outdated things that we do that are detrimental to our culture. And I'm always calling these things out, you know? So it's, it's difficult, basically, you know, it's difficult not to fit in, um, in that sort of instance. And it's also this thing where now I've kind of come to a place where I accept that I'm never going to be that person. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. It, it took a while. It took a while and it took some counselling for me to get to that point properly because, you know, there's always this this sort of subconscious longing to feel, you know, like a part of the family or, you know, and it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's taken a while for me to kind of get to a place where I'm like, you know what, I'm okay with this when it comes to my family. When it comes to other people, as in just the run-of-the-mill average everyday people, it's never been a thing. I've never really cared about fitting in because luckily enough, I'll be really honest with you about this. Luckily enough, I found enough people outside who accept me for all my oddities and all my quirkiness and all those things. They like me for it. So I'm okay with that. You know, in, in some ways I was accepted. You know, I didn't necessarily fit in, but I was accepted, you know? So, yeah, yeah. so that kind of made up for things. I think the close proximity of my family now is what makes it, so obvious so for example when i come out when i'm outside the house and i'm you know going to meetings and offices and events and things i'm always recognized and people are always you know oh my god daps i really love the way that you are i love the tweets i love your artwork i love this i love that and I, for the last 10 years i've cultivated that that sort of energy with people with my work and all the rest of it and it's it always comes back and it gives me nourishment you know so it's, it's been great when i'm outside but when i come into the house completely different environment what's expected of me as a young african man it just kind of dismisses everything that i've achieved does that make any sense that's interesting yeah yeah it's a real it's a you know it's, it's something that i find is very common it's a generational thing like it's something that i found that's very common amongst you know my friends and my peers who are young africans uh, you know doing certain things that aren't understood by the generation before them like their parents generation so you know we're still seen as youth in spite of our age which is ridiculous i'm 36 years old i stopped being a child a long time ago so you know it, it's it's those things so it's, it's really kind of yeah but then you have to kind of understand and I, I i got to a place again where i understood that this is not not um in a lot of ways it's not a malicious thing it's not a horrible thing it's just a lack of understanding you know and even though we use this phrase um, for bigger, more impactful things, it still stands true for this. The phrase is that people always fear what they don't understand. Yeah. Like, and, you know, adults don't understand children, so they fear them. They don't understand the youth, so they fear them, you know? So it's no different in this instance. Like, I've chosen a path in life that my, uh, my family doesn't understand. So there's a, there's a certain amount of fear that comes with it because they don't get it. What is it that you think that they're not getting? Tell, tell, tell me more about that sort of disconnect. The one kind of obvious, glaringly obvious thing that they're not getting, as far as I'm, I'm aware, is that what I'm doing is actually a job. Ah, because I, right. draw, yep. I, draw, I draw cartoons, I draw children's books. They, they assume that it's all fun and games. You well, know? It's not a career, like a, an accountant. It's not a career, right? <laughs> so that's like an accountant or a doctor or something like that. So that's definitely one massive thing right and also the decisions i i the sac the things i choose to focus on don't make sense to them 
Like um, at my age, I should be focused on having a family, um, being married, these, these things. Uh, those things, as much as I would like them at some point in the future, they're not a massive priority to me at all. So you've tipped so, the plan on its head. Completely. Yeah. How's that going completely. down? <laughs> uh, it's not the best, yeah. but you know what? You know what it is? When you, you know, unfortunately, this is how it goes with, I think, my family, and I, I think it's the same for most families. When they see you actually really start to succeed, they sort of let go of those things. Those things no longer matter because, you know what, you're actually succeeding. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. I, 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 I do think, to your point, it's possibly as much generational as, a, as cultural because I have mentored Young, young black men in this country with business and entrepreneurialism, but I've also done the same with young uh, white men, young white women, etc., etc. And I've noticed that parental worry thing is there across yeah. all of them. Um, yeah. They worry, they, they ask that point that you said, they ask that question of, oh, so when are you going to get a real job? Which I think is mm-hmm. really difficult. And I find nonconformists generally have often, if it hasn't been a parent, it's been a partner or a teacher or a, you know, university professor or someone in their life that's just put that doubt. How do you deal with that sort of doubt? How do you keep going? I'm stubborn. (laughs) You and me both. That's the best way to sum it up, really. I'm really, really stubborn and I'm headstrong. And these are, as, as much as these can have their negative points, they've literally saved my life. In, yeah. in a lot of ways because I've literally just kept true to what I believed and what I thought and, and what I believed I was capable of doing and the life that I wanted to lead. And I've always had one thing that I've always said that's kind of kept me going, um, which is that, you know, as much as I want to have a, 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 a family someday and settle down and do all those lovely things, I don't want to work two jobs I hate to pay for those things. Yeah. I want to do one job that I love and I want to show my, my, you know, my offspring, you know, the next generation of my family, my nieces, my nephews, that it is possible to do the thing that you want to do and do it well and do it for a living. So that carries me through. So you're thinking you know, legacy. hundred percent, hundred percent. Like I'm, I'm looking at my family. I'm looking at the generations. I'm looking at what's come before and I'm looking at lack of legacy. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'd like to start something. Even if it's, it doesn't end up being me that leaves said legacy, I'd like to at least pave the way for the generation that comes after me to have the same ideals, to be able to manifest something. And, you know, when I say legacy, it's not legacy in, in, in the sense of, you know, we want to rule the world, we want to um, yeah. empire, and it's none of that shit. It's literally just living your best life, like, and not conforming to what's expected of you culturally and all the rest of it just you know just just being happy genuinely happy and that's the one thing i can say for myself i am i'm very happy i like me you've always you've always seemed happy as long as i've known you (laughs) i like who i am you know and it's a battle i won't lie it's a complete battle because you know people always want to tell you what's best for you and all the rest of it but i like who i am and and that's something that i really really hold on to i think it's quite important isn't it and i do think you know a lot of it's why I set up FTSQ and I'm and building a community. I wanted people that were non-conformists to understand they're not alone in this, you know, as you said, sometimes it is a battle to sort of keep your head above the status quo, um, which which brings me to a really interesting point actually about um, uh, about others out there that, that were 
sort of similar to you, when was it that you sort of started to notice that there were sort of square pegs and round holes around you and how did they cope, sort of the nonconformists that you've come across in your life? That's a tricky one, if I'm going to be honest with you. That's cool. I like tricky. <laughs> I've come across a few people that fit the mould, but I kind of look at it like they were afforded the privilege. Oh, interesting. Okay. Being nonconformists. In what way? You know, whether it's a privilege afforded to them by their race, uh, whether it's a privilege afforded to them by their parents or a combination of both, they had people to encourage that in them. They had people to show them the way, the same way that my nieces and my nephews will have the privilege of me, they had that privilege. Whereas, you know, even my mum the other day actually said, she said she doesn't know where I got it from. Oh, interesting. She doesn't know where I got it from. And I, I've had this sit down with myself a few times over the last four years and I've wondered and I, I really want to sort of get to know my family history a bit more. I want to look at my grandmother's side to see if there was somebody that was breaking the mold. Oh, Do you know what yes. I mean? Those um, shows, those history shows about celebrities and their families, they quite often do that for that reason, don't they? To try and figure yeah. out why they went down why that they're track. This is the thing, like, because there's nobody else in my family. Nobody else is doing anything like what I'm doing or aiming to do. No one else. So, you know, when I meet other non people who, you know, see themselves as nonconformists, I don't want to take anything away from anybody's achievements, but I always believe it's important to look at what facilitated your nonconformity. Yep. You know, what do you have to lose? Do you know what I mean? Like, if it's a situation, I think nonconformity, I don't think... Um, I don't think it's genuine. This is my opinion. I don't think it's genuine if you have nothing to lose. Mm, true. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you, if, you know, if, if, if it is a thing where like, you know, you've got family, they, they're always there to support you. You've got wealth, you've got all these things. If you take that risk and, you know, go out, go against the grain and it doesn't work out for you, you're okay. And it's almost like you can take that risk because you're okay. Is that really not conforming, though? That's a really interesting question, actually. I hadn't really thought about it that way before. I guess it's all relative, I suppose, isn't it? Because what one person <laughs> sees as something that's fearful of losing, other people will go, well, I'm not scared of losing that. Yeah, but, you know, the thing is, when I say losing, I mean, I didn't have a wealthy family. I didn't have a supportive family either. I don't have one, if I'll be really honest with you. I have, like, you know, my half-siblings who I'm getting to know now, who I didn't grow up with, they're very supportive, and that's always a, a surprise for me. But I didn't have that. I didn't always have that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, no. So like, there was a period of time, you know, there have been several periods, actually, about three or four that I can recall, where um, it was literally... I'm sitting here thinking, oh shit, this is not going to work. This path that I've chosen for myself, everyone's going to be right. I'm going to be 40 years old, still trying to make it as an artist, and it just isn't going to work. Yeah, no, I know that feeling. I think I think a lot of a lot of people that have sort of set out on their own path have had that mm. those moments of <laughs> that feeling is magnified by sort of looking at the fact that if I didn't succeed, if I didn't have the breakthrough that I had, you know, a couple of years ago, if I didn't have that, I don't know what I would have been doing. I really don't. I mean, the stubborn part of me says that, you know, I would have found a way because I am very solution oriented as a person. However, there is still that 10% doubt that's like, oh shit, this could have gone horribly wrong. I could be, you know, 
one of the things that freaks me out is being the possibility of being destitute. And that was a very homeless, that was a very serious thing for me at one point. Yeah. Because, you know, even now, even living here, I'm always looking at security. Do you know? Like, I, I, again, being raised by my aunt, I wasn't fortunate enough to have somebody who prepared me for those things in life. They didn't advise me on things like money and keeping your finances secure, credit scores, how to save up to earn, own a property, all these things. These things are very, very important things. There's nobody telling me all these things. There still is nobody telling me all these things. I'm having to find them out. So coming up, I always had that fear of being sort of dispossessed, not having a place, a roof, just being homeless. That really, really scared me. It's not an irrational fear when you think yeah. about it because... It was just a thing where like in this country, in this economy, if you can't afford to live, you know, I, I was on minimum wage working in the gym. I was earning, I'll be honest, I'll disclose that. I was earning just shy of 500 pounds, maybe 400 pounds a month. When you, Holy when you crap. Me. Yeah. I made it look good though. I'm not gonna you lie. did. <laughs> we didn't know. <laughs> 500 pounds on a good month when the artwork was doing really well. I'd just come shy of a grand. But even then I lived in my overdraft for about a decade. It wasn't until I got my first paycheck from my book publishing that I was able to come come out of my overdraft in a decade. Holy shit. It's interesting yeah. though. Have you do you think though that one of the tools you've learnt to use is tapping into that fear and flipping it into drive? One thousand percent. And I say this you know, in my counseling session again, I was talking about this. Right now, my drive, my motivation, my hunger, it comes from that place. Yeah. It comes from that fear. And I'm trying to work my way towards flipping it around so that I'm working from a more positive energy. Because at the moment, you know, I, I, as much as I'm getting work done, as much as I'm doing things and making all these things happen, there is still that kind of panic that sets in when things don't go wrong or they look like they're going to fail. Or I look like, you know, I, I'm literally panicking on the inside thinking shit, 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 shit. And I have to sit down and have a conversation with myself and say, listen, nobody's going to fire you. Yeah. Like, you're okay. Like, there was a fear when I got my first book deal. The first thing that I thought, I, I, did, I haven't celebrated yet, by the way. It's been almost two years. Oh, and I dude, got to sort like, that out. They <laughs> celebrated. I mean, you know that, and, and maybe this is me sort of thinking you're supposed to do this. Maybe this never happens for anybody. But I always envisioned that, you know, I would sign the book deal. I'd release the book. And, you know, I'd have this moment where I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. But I haven't had that moment. Maybe that moment might never come. What I have been doing is after each book deal, after everything is finished, I'm literally planning what's next. I'm thinking about what's next. When I first got the first book deal, the first thing I thought is this is not real until you have another book deal. You're not yeah. an artist. You're just somebody in one book, you know? So Maybe you need to do both. Maybe you need to both celebrate but not forget that you've got to keep going. Well, that's, that's why I say I've managed to have like small, I treat myself to small, small things. So maybe we can call those celebrations, <laughs> but I didn't sort of celebrate in the way that I thought I would, if it makes any sense. I didn't have the big old party, the big old song and dance. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just literally went on to the next project, the next project, the next project, the next project. So where I am now though, and you know, I've, I've spoken to a few of my peers, a few um, authors and illustrators who I, whose work I love, who've been in the game for a long time. And they've all said the same thing. It was very similar for them. They didn't sort of celebrate things until they had a sort of retrospective moment where they could look back on the work they've done. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. You know, I feel like right now it's my second year in the game. I am currently wrapping up 
my books, let's see, books three, four, five, and six. I'm currently wrapping those up. And I feel like when I get to 10 books in a couple of years, I'll be able to sort of look back down the line at all those books, all the events, all the things that have happened and take stock and really kind of celebrate myself. And people say, oh, no, no, don't wait till then to celebrate. I'm like, look, listen, man, there's only so many hours in the world. There's only so many hours in a day. I've got work to do. Like the more time I sort of spend celebrating, the less time I have to work. So let me just get my work on, treat myself from time to time. Obviously, you know, whenever I make a big payday or something great happens, just buy myself a little something or, you know, take stock and be proud. Yeah. I'm always doing Micro moments, micro moments of celebration. It's not a bad always thing. Doing yeah, I'm always doing that. So, you know, I, and, and it was, it was weird. So for the first sort of um, five months or so, every time I'd see somebody, they'd be like, Oh my God, you're so amazing. You're doing this and you're doing that. Like, you know, how'd you feel? And I'd be like, tired. <laughs> tired. And people were always so surprised by that. I'm not. I, it's I, fucking knackering being, you know, getting your success, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> you're not tired and something's wrong. Yeah. So like, you know, I kept saying this to people and, like, and that was my only answer because they were like, oh, aren't you happy? I'm like, yeah, I'm smiling inside, but I'm tired. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like it's really like Ed Sheeran the other day uh, uh, sort of stood up at his last concert and said, I'm having 18 months off, fucking naked. <laughs> like, and, and I'm pretty sure, you know, come on, Ed Sheeran is the hardest working. And this is hilarious that you bring him up, by the way. I'm going to tell you why in a second. But Ed Sheeran is one of the hardest working people in music. Yep. Like he's a hard worker. And I actually said to my friend the other day, the same friend I was talking to of 20 plus years, I said, listen, if you're going to compare me to anybody, you need to start comparing me to the Ed Sheeran. Of oh, that's hilarious. How did I manage to get that? <laughs> that is how I want my career to be. Oh, that's prolific. cool. Which, brings me to, which actually brings me to the perfect question I was going to ask you next, which is which nonconformist do you admire and why? So there you go, Ed Sheeran, hardest working chap in the business. I think um, Sheeran is Sheeran is um, is a nonconformist in the way that what, what I love about Ed Sheeran actually is his talent speaks more than anything because yes. Ed Sheeran does not look like a pop star. <laughs> no, bless him. <laughs> you know, not a conventional pop star. He doesn't look like that at all, and you know he doesn't carry himself like that either. Very nonconventional guy in that way. But um, nonconformists who I admire. Yeah, they can be alive or dead. That's okay. Jeez, it, that's a tough one because I've never really thought of. I'll tell you who I think is my favourite. One of my okay. favourites, Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. That man pushed boundaries not just in art but in science. All and right. So if we're going to talk amazing, about, if we're going to talk about that, da Vinci was fantastic. But if we're going to talk about that, I would say. Van Gogh. Oh, yes. Van Gogh. Van Gogh, his story, tragic as it was, it was, I mean, it, it always touches me that somebody can work as hard as he did and be as prolific as he did and not enjoy any success. Until he died. In their lifetime. Yeah. But still carry on working. Yeah. Because, you know, again, I don't, I don't remember uh, the, the ins and outs of his death, but I just remembered that the sad thing about Van Gogh, the saddest thing about Van Gogh is he wasn't famous until he passed away. Right. Like, and, you know, people, other people, people who he exchanged artwork with in exchange for like a drink oh, yes. or a night 
or, or a bed to, to lay his head down for a night. They made millions off his work. Yep. So I think he didn't conform. He didn't stop working. He didn't, he followed the path till death. And that always kind of stuck with me. Um, but that's, that's one person that I can think of. I mean, another person, and I know you might roll your eyes at this guy, but um, Kanye West, actually. Kanye West. Um, Kanye West, if we're going to talk about nonconformists, Kanye West, Jay-Z, those are the two artists, rappers, yep. who, whose career I've followed for a very, very long time, who have managed to stand the test of time musically and have never conformed. No, you know, you've had yep. and them hating them. Like the vitriol that people reserve for Kanye is amazing, but he just doesn't conform. Gets on with what I feel sorry for him. I do because I do. I do think he's unwell. I think he's got mental health issues. But I think he has. Okay. I think he has. I definitely think he has some issues, as do we all. What kind of help is he getting for them? I have no idea. Not enough would be my answer to that. I would think. Uh, I think he's taken advantage of a lot of the time. I think I think you might be right, but again, I don't know the yeah. so I, I try not to sort of comment on his his well being. But the thing is, though, in terms of before all the mental health stuff, before all those things, he was he he was always a nonconformist. Yeah, no, that's true. Like musically, that's very true. You know, musically, what the music stood for when it first came out, his first like four or five albums were amazing. Like the first album was life changing for me. Like it was literally the soundtrack to the first five years of, of me wanting to start my career. Like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That it was, was a brilliant, oh. brilliant album, and um, you know there were songs that were about nonconformity. There were songs about wanting being being so close to breaking through into the thing that you want to do, yet being so far at the same time. It's a brilliant song, a brilliant album. Oh, so, so, so close you can taste yeah. it. I don't really know his music particularly well. It's not really my kind of thing. I'm more old school blues and yeah. that kind of stuff. But, well, you, you know, I, it's, he, they both still are pretty pretty amazing from what like I can early see. Work, and I say that because he sampled a whole lot of blues and old soul. Did he? To make the first album. The first album. On another conversation, you'll have to send me some links on that one, I think. <laughs> so next question then is about, it's something I talk a lot about actually, about how often people can turn their difference into a place of power. Was was there a moment for you that you kind of made a conscious decision to decide to turn the things that were different about you into a, into a place of power? And I don't mean power in a negative way. I mean turn it into a place of good, you know what I mean? rather than seeing differences negative. You mean like a strength, basically? Yeah. Was there a moment in time where you wanted to, yeah, make make your difference a strength? I, I don't think there was a definitive moment. I think there were just a long, long series of moments. That's the way that I'm going to look at it. I feel like I have a moment like that pretty much every other day. Like every other day. Where you sort of sit down and you think, shit. I'll be honest with you. I still have that feeling that I don't fit in. I still have that feeling. It's still a very, very strong feeling. And one of the hardest things at the moment is relationship-wise. Like if we're going to talk about sharing your life with somebody, that's one of the hardest things for me, to be with somebody and still feel sort of like I'm alone. That's a really, really difficult thing for me because, you know, we all want to be understood, right? And I don't think I, I don't think I struggle when it comes to articulating who I am and the kind of person I am and all the rest of it. No, but never. <laughs> people have expectations according to society 
of the person that they want to date and the person that they want to be with. And this is true of a lot of people, even people that deny that they do, it's still true of them. So to genuinely be with somebody who doesn't fit in to the expectations, it's hard for a lot of people because they don't know what, you know, they're not used to this. There's no guideline for this, you know? And in my experience, the people that I get along with the most are other nonconformists who understand what it is to be a solo thinker, you know? And those people are few and far between. So dating for me is horrendous at times. And I'm not, you know, I don't bring out violins here, but (laughs) it's quite funny, but it's also like, oh, like I really don't want to do that for a while. Like, You know why I'm laughing? Because I'm in exactly the same position. (laughs) I find it quite difficult from from that perspective. I know I would imagine that a lot of um, nonconformists find uh, that side of, you know, expectation and the fact that you know you people expect that you you go to school then you go to university then you have a bit of fun and then you get your first flat and you buy a house mm-hmm. and you get married and, and you have your kids and blah 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 when you don't fit into that some of the conversations and questions I've been asked about this is just fucking ridiculous because I've not followed the path you follow the 10-year you know that's what I call it the 10-year path and you know the funny thing I made the funny comment that I made about that was that that 10-year path is a massive distraction in and of itself because what happens is that will take you it's, it's actually not a 10-year path it's a 20-year path right so like from your 20s yeah. to your early 40s right so what will happen is there's enough distractions if you follow that linear path to distract you from figuring out who the fuck you are as a person there's enough distractions you meet someone the distraction of meeting and loving and sex and all that great stuff. Oh my God, we're in love. We're going to get married. You get married, right? Oh my God, we're married. We're Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic. You get your first place. Oh my God, we've moved into it. You have your first baby. Oh my God, we had a baby. You raise the child. The child grows up. The child goes to university. You're now in your 40s. Now you're a different person and you're looking at the person that you've married and they're a different person and you don't know who you are and you don't know who they are. Cue midlife crisis. So... <laughs> just not being yeah. path. I know people that it's happened to, and this is the thing I say. I say it all the time: love alone does not save relationships. It does not. Oh no, hell no! Not save. As a divorced person, I know that that's not this enough. Is it? It's not enough. Like you need to have a sense of who the fuck you are. You need to have a sense of who the fuck you are. And um, I pride myself on that. I have a sense of who I am. And you know, one of the you know, funny enough, another thing as well that's really odd about the non-conforming thing you've met me you know what i look like right and i work in the gym um for want of a better phrase right i've heard this thrown about a lot i'm a buck (laughs) right i have a (laughs) um it confuses a lot of people because of how i am as a person does that make any sense i'm not a jock yeah the word i'm not that kind of person so to hear me talk for example i don't look like i sound right I've never really thought about it. You just daps. <laughs> right? So you've never had you've never had to separate the voice from the person. So like imagine no, when I used to work in sales at the gym. I used to talk to people on the phone, cold call them, and you know, they'd come in for a meeting to join the gym. And as soon as they walked in and they saw me, they'd be like, uh oh. Like every month there was at least I'd met like about two hundred people a month. At least a hundred of them, if not 150, were always surprised by my appearance. What were they expecting you to look like? I don't know, but it just wasn't this guy that showed up to shake their hand. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Big, dark, black guy with a mohawk. It just wasn't what they were expecting. <laughs> so imagine, imagine, so that's one side of it, right? So imagine the other yeah. when you're dating this guy. 
So like a lot of people pick who they're going to date based on appearance, right? So I'll get girls who are, oh my God, he's so nice. He's good looking. You know, he's really nice and, you know, big, big, solid guy. He's really nice. What'd you do? I'm an artist. Oh, what kind of art? I draw children's books. Oh, okay. And they just can't marry the two sometimes. They just can't marry the two. I'm, I'm a massive nerd. I love comics. I watch cartoons more than any child I know. Right. Because I, <laughs> because I want to create cartoons because I need to understand yeah. what's out there to make them. Right. But that's also because I love them. I love them. I absolutely love animated films and I will not apologize for that. However, it doesn't add up with what people's sense of being a grown up is or with what yeah. sense of being an adult is or with what people's sense of being the man that they're attracted to is. It just doesn't add up to a lot of people. They don't get it. They don't get it. And mm. again, I'm not, it's not, um, a thing that's like, woe is me, but it's literally an observation that I've made. And when we talk about nonconformists, I can't think of anything else. I'm literally a walking, talking nonconformity. It's odd. No, it's great. Yeah. It's not odd. We love odd. Oh, no. well, I didn't mean it was a brilliant thing, but it's still, <laughs> like, it's still odd. I'm like a walking, talking nonconformity. Yeah, well, we love that here at FTSQ, that's for damn sure. Um, I want to talk to you more about your current work and, and the work you're planning for the future. You know, when we when we first met at the gym in Regent's uh, place in, in central London six years ago, your artwork was on the wall and it blew me away. In fact, it blew me away enough to commission a piece which sits very proudly in my entrance foyer at home but the journey you've taken to where you are today fascinates me. You know, can you tell me more about the current work that you're doing and the journey? Even probably, obviously, it was slightly before I met you, and you were doing a very different type of artistic work to what you're now doing today. Tell, tell me about all of that. Right. So when we first met, um, again, this is me summing up a few years in a nutshell for listeners. Um, when we first met, I was still figuring out a lot of things. Um, as I said before, I didn't graduate um, university, and I also didn't study illustration. I studied graphic design and advertising, which was something that was very, very different to what I'm doing now. What graphic design and advertising taught me was how to look at things, how to see things, how to read an image, whether it's a good image or a bad image. It didn't, however, teach me how to compose an image or how to the technical um, abilities of illustrating and drawing and painting and all those things. Those are things that I've had to go on and learn by myself. When I came out of education, I had to basically piece together another education in illustration using free resources online any tutorials I can get my hand on. So as a result of me having to do things that way, it took 10 years for me to get to where I am now. And the journey has been an amazing journey. I've gone forwards slowly at times, fast at times, sideways at times, but never happily, never backwards. So it's been really good in that way. When you first met me art-wise where I was, I was still trying to figure everything out. I was doing a lot of portraits, drawing women, and you know, I had a very sort of oriental feel to the artwork that I was doing. It was heavily influenced by Ukiyo, Japanese Ukiyo paintings and um, Chinese artwork as well. And it was beautiful and I loved it. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to merge the styles. I was trying to sort of bring like a graffiti sort of um, edgier style to that style. And it's still something that I plan to revisit once I've, you know, got some time and all the rest of it. But that was... Oh, you'll have to keep me informed on that. You'll probably get another commission. <laughs> 
I'm playing a solo art though, hopefully either um, in, in a couple of years, 2021, I'm looking at to do that. It's like a proper gallery event I'm trying to have. Cool. So yeah, so that was me. And, you know, the, the, the thing was trying to learn as much as I can. I didn't know what kind of artist I wanted to be. I just knew that I wanted to be one. You know, I knew I wanted to be an illustrator. I knew I wanted to create bodies of work. You know, I knew I wanted to sort of have my work out there in the world. And that was another thing I was never afraid to do. So we talk, you talked to me about the gallery of my work that was hanging up in the gym. Yeah. You know, I worked in the gym and I looked, I've always been, I've always had a bit of a business acumen about me. So like I worked in the gym and I looked at the fact that in the gym, the footfall was quite immense. We'd see something like 800 to a thousand, maybe 2000 on a busy day, people just walking through. Holy in and out. crap. So, you know, I worked a shift, I worked several shifts and I'd see this. So the first idea I had, I asked my manager at the time if I could have an art show at the gym. He was like, yeah, sure, go for it. So I had an art show at the gym. It went really well. We hung the work up for a couple of weeks. It was so well received. It did really well. And we left it. That was in 2012, I believe, the end of 2012. Yep, that's when I met you. Yep. And then we did another one in 2013. Went really well again. And then in 2014, I believe, we did one. And the manager at the time was like, yeah, just keep the work up in the gym. So between, I believe, 2014 and 2014 to 2016, my work was up in the gym. And it was up for over a year and I would swap out pieces. And, you know, because I had the work up in the gym, I had a gallery at the gym and I was at the front desk it created such a buzz in the area because the gym was in a, you know, in a business park, it created such a buzz in the area. Loads of people were buying pieces for presents and gifting pieces and hanging pieces up in their offices and commissioning me. And then I ended up having, doing pop-ups in, in and around the square as well in various offices. I went to the Facebook head office and it did a pop-up in there. And it just sort of allowed me to sort of network in the way that I wanted to network. I hate networking by the way. <laughs> You're so good at it though. I do not like giving out business cards. I don't like all that crap. What I like is doing doing work and having people see it, putting it in places where people can see it. That's what I like doing. So that's my form of networking and it really worked. Off the back of that, you know, even that wasn't enough as such. It was happening, but it was moving forward at an incremental pace. And it was, you know, tricky because there were times where I felt like I did so much, 2016 especially, I did so much work, had so many shows, so many pop-ups. And it just, I just kept breaking even and making just a little bit of money for all the effort that I was putting out. Don't get me wrong. Every piece of work that goes out, this is another thing I love about art. Every piece of work that goes out to somebody, it has a trickle effect. Yeah. You know, they'll buy it. They'll hang it up in their house. Someone will see it, ask them where they got it from. They'll direct them to me. They'll buy it. They'll gift it. Someone gets it that didn't know my work. They become a fan of my work. So on and so forth. So it had a trickle effect, but because there's only one me, it was a slow trickle effect, you know, mm. at times it was frustrating because I was not happy with the pace it was going at. Then I had my first solo show in 2015, which I think is when everything started to sort of tip and change. It was a really, really well received show. Loads of people showed up. It was was that the Brixton one that I went to? Or was yeah, it another one? Yeah, that was yeah. great. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic show. Loads of people showed up. I was overwhelmed by the turnout. You know, I sold out all my pieces that night. It was really great. Oh, they I didn't know it. that. That's amazing. That's yeah. They loved it at the venue. They wanted me back. So, you know, I, it became a regular thing. I did another one in 2016. But again, the problem was loads of events, loads of things happening. 
but still so slow and still not in the field that would give me enough reach or enough ability to really sort of change the game. And then uh, what happened in 2016, a friend of mine, Nathan, um, who's the author of the picture book that's come out recently that I worked on, he approached me in 2015 at the end of my show and he was like, Daps, I really want you to design a character for a picture book. I've got an idea for a character. So I drew the character, based her on my nieces, and it was a wonderful, wonderful little girl and it was well received. Um, Nathan took it to the publisher he was with. Nathan is an actual, he's an actor and a screenwriter. So he was with an agent. So he took it to the agent, sorry, not the publisher, he took it to the agent that he was with. You know, they, they loved it. She asked me to come in. She's now my agent. Her name is Sally and she's brilliant. She asked me to come in, sit down and just sort of talk over the idea with her. And I did. And I ended up signing with her. She took my work to the Bologna Book Festival in 2017. She came back and shit literally just hit the fan everything went mad in a good way in the best way possible we ended up with 14 offers for the book and she wasn't expecting you to be any good either was she well initially she when she told me the story that when people you know when other clients come to her and they say oh i've got a friend who can draw the friend's usually not very good (laughs) so you know when she saw my work she was like holy cow get him in so you know that was that was a relief to hear and it, again this is my thing it's always been a thing where i've always loved what i do i like my work i like how i work i like all the things that i do not everything but you know the, the, the good stuff i like it but i never think that anybody is going to receive it the way that people receive it so it's always been a massive boost for my confidence when people you know like my work like it's always been a massive boost so you know she took it to bologna it, she came back and this was this was the thing i think this is the thing that completely sealed my belief in my work i mean don't get me wrong there are still days when i'm like oh my god this is awful but i know that i can do better so i yeah. push myself so this thing she came back from bologna and we had we had uh, something like 16 17 publishers interested in our book right so i thought that by interested that meant that we would still have to go and pitch to them and talk to them about how you know why they should take us on why they should publish us and all that but i was wrong what actually happened was they were bidding and pitching to us as to why we should go with them as our publisher holy so, shit so they were fighting over you it was insane the first meeting <laughs> We met eight publishers and um, well, six publishers in one day. We walked away with three offers from three major publishers. I can now talk about it. So it was um, Hachette, Bloomsbury, and Penguin who made offers on the book. And by the end of that month, May 2017, we had 14 offers on the table. It, it then became a thing between Bloomsbury and Penguin. They were bidding back and forth for the book. And Penguin made the better offer, and we ended up going with Penguin as a team decision. Good decision, yeah. I think. Yeah, good decision. It was. It was. It's definitely been a very interesting experience because now I'm working across publishers as well. So that was 2017. Fast forward. So that meant that one publisher has the book. That leaves 13 publishers with nothing from us. So fast forward to 28. You know, 2018, early 2018. I was still in this place where I was like, you know, we've got one book. I need to have more, like, before I can call myself an actual illustrator, book illustrator, and. You know, unbeknownst to me, there was a flood coming, basically. <laughs> April to May 2018, my inbox just wouldn't stop going off with, you know, publishers offering me texts. Um, and I ended up signing up on another, currently now, as of now, I've signed up for another four, for four series, four book series in total. A series is more than one book. So I've signed up for more series, for four book series in total. 
across four different publishers. And I've also got another three or four solo individual titles that I'm working with as well across other publishers. So in total, I'm working across one, two, three, four, five publishers. Yeah, five publishers on something like 13 books. So, you know, it's just been such a great experience. These are books that are all going to be coming out one after the other over the course of the And they're all kids' books, aren't they? All kids' books oh, as well. well. Another thing that became crazy, again, I keep telling you I'm this like walking, talking nonconformist. We figured this out last year. I am one of two black British illustrators currently working in UK publishing. Wow. It's nothing to celebrate. It's absolutely bullshit because no. there are illustrators working in UK publishing and I'm one of two. And to make it even worse, there's a 32 year gap between when the first guy started working and when I came into the industry and I'm only 36 years old people. So he started working when I was four years old and between him and me, apparently there hasn't been anyone as far as I know, there hasn't He's been anyone. He's not done a lot to pave the way then. As far as I know, he hasn't, but in fairness to him, things were different. Yeah. Um, things were different when he was coming up. So I don't know what, you know, you know in fairness to him, I don't know what adversities he faced. It may have been, and, and I, I can't even say, I thought about this yesterday, I can't really say that he hasn't done enough to pave the way because I guess to some extent without him, there wouldn't be me. Yeah. Yep. Does that make yep. any To some extent without him, there wouldn't be me. So I don't know what this person has done. And obviously he's a friend of mine, so it's, it's difficult for me to sort of sit here and just be like, you know, but I just don't know what he faced. What I do know though, is that since I've come into this thing, I've made it very, very clear who I am. I'm not here to conform. I'm not here to play the game. I'm not here to chuck and jive for anybody. I'm here to draw things that make me happy and communicate with people. And I'm here to have a long lasting career that I actually enjoy because I belong here. Mm. You know, Actually, you and I were talking about something yesterday, which I think is quite interesting as well, is that you found yourself starting to be shoehorned quite quickly. So one of the things that happened was a lot of text that I was receiving from publishers was geared around like, you know, drawing black children or texts around black children focused books that have something to do with hair. And you know me, you know my artwork. You know, I can draw black children. I enjoy drawing black children. I enjoy drawing that content. However, that's not all no. I want to draw Definitely or all not. I'm drawing. So I want to tell as wide and varied a variety of stories as I possibly can in this career and in this life. And I will. And one of the things I was very, very clear about from the jump to my agent and to other publishers is that I don't want to be vocally about it as well on Twitter. I was like, I don't want to be the guy that just draws black kids. I don't want to be that guy. I am not that guy. Don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with people that choose to be that person. However, I want my career to be diverse. I want to be afforded that privilege to have a diverse career. You know, True, and truly I, diverse, truly inclusive. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Like I want to enjoy my work. And if it so happens that I choose to just draw black children, that will be a choice. Not because I was pigeonholed and yeah. that's all, you know? So that's, that was something I made very, very clear from the jump. Um, it's been an interesting road in that respect. I've had varied experiences with the publishers I've been working with all good, you know, but just varied and quite different. And also in the industry as a whole, I've tried to do some things to help pave the way for the next person. I'm happy to say that, you know, I've, I've managed to get a friend of mine to become an illustrator as well, to become a published illustrator as well. He's doing quite well. He's ready to sort of take his role. And, you know, I'm working on helping anybody else who looks like me 
or who comes from a similar background who, you know, who wants to get into this game. You know, I'm, I'm actually working with a, a, um, a project called Pathways, which is a two-year program for illustrators of color to help them get into the game. It's in conjunction with several publishers and other, you know, writers and illustrators and other companies that work on the fringe of publishing as well. They're all helping uh, Pathways to make this thing happen. It's a two-year course. And on the course, I will be a mentor to two students, two of the applicants on the course. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to learning from them as much as I am, you know, to giving them the knowledge that I have. And that is just one thing. I've also set up, or I'm in the process of setting up, the second event in a Black British Illustrators meetup that I'm trying to get off the ground. We had a first and very, very successful event in May with Macmillan. We got Macmillan to open up their doors and they welcomed 30 attendants who all black British illustrators from varying you know, talent levels. They all came in, they had a portfolio review, there was a panel, we were all talking about our experiences and they all mingled afterwards and it was a really good event. And I'm in the process of setting up the next one between Macmillan and hopefully Hachette Children, which is going to see two publishers working together, right? Which I don't think has been done before, working together for an initiative that's bigger than them. This is really cool. I love that. So this was the thing, you know, I told my friend, one of the things that I prided myself on doing off the bat, I did all this before I got published. My book came out in June, by the way, the meet, the event happened in May and my friend was published last year. So these were all things that I was able to do the minute that I got into the industry before my book even came out. So I want to keep this momentum, Yeah. you know, I want to keep this momentum. I want to keep this thing going. I believe that there's very few that I can't very few things that I can't do. You know, if someone says to me, you know what, this isn't possible, then what do we do? We go away and we figure out how to make it possible. You know, I want to know why it's not possible so we can make it possible because what I'm asking for is never going to be a bad thing. It's never going to be a bad thing. And publishing in a lot of ways is archaic. Sorry, publishers, they're very archaic in the ways that they've been thinking about things for the last few decades. And I think they all need a shake up. Sounds like they're open to it though. Well, for the most part, they are. And this is this is what's great about it. I think what tends to happen is all the people on the ground level, you know, the editors, the designers, the commissioning editors, all these people tend to be really open to it. What tends to happen is the people that are in sales, the people who hold the purse strings, they're the ones that need the convincing. That's where I think diversity needs to happen. Right. Because I wonder whether those people who, who make that final call who give the money to commission things, who set the budgets, whether those people reflect the diversity that publishing needs. Probably not. I wouldn't have thought. Probably not. I'm being mm. nice about it. Probably <laughs> not. They probably don't. Or they it's definitely FTE's don't. key. You don't have to be nice. <laughs> this is me. I'm always, I'm always hopelessly polite. So <laughs> I feel like it's just not there. Like, I feel like it's not there. Well, so, you're getting stuck in and starting to do something about that. So you know, hopefully the lead that you start to show will come through in other areas of the publishers and, you know, different things. So, well, look, that, that's really cool. What's your future look like at the moment? What, what's, what's your sort of next steps? Oof. <laughs> Jesus, wheezes. <laughs> um, one of the crazy things about this, it looks amazing, right? But I don't know exactly what the next step is. I guess if I had to say there was a next step, the next step is to finish the books that I've been commissioned to right. do. Right? Which is booked out for quite a while, isn't it? 
Oof, mate, it's non-stop for the next three or four years. Wow, or so. so it's that's amazing. Great. So just finishing books and obviously finishing books and taking on more books as I go on. Um, I do want to go from being a, I'm, I'm trying to sort of make this an, a small steps thing because I do have some bigger steps, which I don't want to talk about yet yeah, no, because cool. we've got later foundations. But um, one of the things I do want to segue into doing is becoming an author illustrator. I want to write as well as illustrate. I want to write for others. And I also want to write something that I get to illustrate myself as well. So I think in terms of the immediate future, that's the first thing. Aside from finishing the books that I'm working on at the moment, that's something I definitely want to get off the ground. A world that I have built, sort of, you know, just yep. to see how I can do this, if, if I can do this. So, yeah, that's, that's exciting. the next thing. That's very I'm looking forward to seeing that. So we're, we're nearly at the end of the conversation here, and I've got one more question, which is about generally about nonconformists. What, what do you think the future is for nonconformists? Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> a really tricky one. And the reason why it's a tricky one is because I don't think that there is a collective future for us. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Why is that? I don't think there is a collective future for us. I think, again, because I'm very much about the individual, you know, I do believe in, I do believe in the collective. I do, because ultimately, you know, the individual does feed into that, but I'm still very much about the individual. And I think that more, I think this is a big question. That's a really big question. I think, <laughs> More and more people are trying to be nonconformists without it, – it's just a reflection of the day and age that we live in. More and more people are trying to sort of pass themselves off as, as nonconformists without actually really thinking about what it is that they, their goal is or what they want to do and yeah. all the rest. Of it. I don't think rebels. you can pass yourself off as a nonconformist. Well, so you either are well, or you're not. Well, this is, this is why I say it's, it's a tricky thing because, you know, everybody wants to be a rebel, rebel without a cause, not realizing what <laughs> most nonconformists have a cause, yeah. but they're trying to do it in a way that it's never been done before, yeah. or they try to improve the way that it's currently being done. So this is, this is the thing. And when you say, you know, what, what do I think the future is for us? I hope it's a bright one. Yeah. Like I can tell you what I hope it is. I hope it's a bright one. I hope it's a fantastic one. I hope. More and more people, especially with the shitty governments oh, <laughs> in the first world, I hope more and more people decide to not fucking conform. Because yeah. what's expected to us, what's expected of us in society at large, is just really, really awful. Bullshit. <laughs> it's BS. I look at politics. I look at you know. I, I do watch this stuff. I don't know as much as you know experts do on what's going on and all the rest of it because oh my god it's tiring but it has become a, a bit of a pantomime yeah it's become a bit of a stage play it's become you know it's become synonymous with social media and all the rest of this, the shitty things that are happening in our in our time you know it, it, it's and and i stopped and i think about it, i think these are the people that make decisions that actually affect people's lives like and it's it's really scary yeah that's scary i think that what's required of us as the people. And I never understand why we can't just do this. What's required of us as the people is to not conform and to make our voices not only heard, but felt. Oh, that's really like, easy. It's fear. Uh, fear is the thing yeah. that's getting in the way. And and this is why I say to you, like, you know, it, it's, it's a weird thing when I look at the future for nonconformists because you're always going to be made to feel other because you're the one that's going to be saying, look, let's not conform. How about we just exercise our own power? See, this is, where, this is why I set up this, this business and 
the community though because I'm going to do everything I fucking can to make sure that doesn't happen because I am loud and I am ballsy and I have got loud ballsy people around me and I've got people like you that are willing to stand up and I think that if collectively those quiet voices are collected together by the right people and supported, Mm. then I think we can change the world, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to be fucking hard. One thing I always say is it's not going to be easy. It might not be in our lifetimes. No, it might Um, not be in our lifetimes. I firmly, firmly, firmly believe in planting the seeds. I firmly, firmly believe in that. And I'm trying to do that. You know, I don't know if all the seeds I plant I'll sow. Or I'll reap in my in my lifetime. Is that the way? I keep getting these things confused. Reap, sow, plant. <laughs> One of the growing things. <laughs> I know that I'll be planting seeds as I go along, right? Whether or not I will be able to reap all the fruits and all that stuff. And I don't know. I might not live long enough to do that, but someone will. Yeah. You know, someone will. And that's the thing. That's the way I'm looking at paying it forward. You know, I might not benefit from it, but someone will. Like, if I, if I sort of make enough noise about something that I feel is wrong, I might not benefit from it, but someone will. Someone might take that up. Someone might hear that and think differently before they do something, you know? So that's the way I look at it. And, you know, again, I don't want to sound like a pessimist. I'm trying to be a realist with this. Yeah. I think unconformist, I think that's all you can hope for yep. in your lifetime. You're making enough noise to start that change, to start that trickle effect. Because... Even, you know, your nonconformity can inspire someone who conforms to change their ways, to think about things a bit more, to sort of be more worldly and more aware. And even, you know, because again, I don't think conformity is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. I don't. Um, Maybe I haven't thought about it enough, but I don't. But um, I think that there is a way to conform and go with the status quo and do all those things. But to also maintain a sense of self, does that make any sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. To support people who don't conform, yep. to not see them other, to not ostracize them, to sort of learn from them, you know? Because yep. that, to me, by doing that, that kind of improves the status quo. Totally agree. And on that note, that wraps things up absolutely beautiful about fuck the status quo, quite frankly. <laughs> So, look, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat to you, as always. I'm looking forward to seeing your continued success, and I'm really proud of having watched you over the last few years where I met you and where you've got to today and where you're going for the future. Thank you very much for your time today, and I I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's been brilliant. I really look forward to listening to more of your podcasts, and I hope this does what you want it to do. I'm sure it will. I think it's going to be quite inspiring. Thank you very much.